When Christmas draws near, the thoughts of many people turn to the giving and receiving of presents. Presents are an important part of most cultures. They are given on feast days, anniversaries and birthdays. Jesus received presents on his birthday, gold, frankincense and myrrh. In some cultures, presents are both given and received. At weddings, the bride and groom receive presents and also give them. Carlin and I had a church wedding in Singapore and a reception at which we received presents. And then a tea ceremony. Whoops, it's gone a bit too far. Oh, it's gone. Where is it? There we go. And then a tea ceremony um, where we both received presents but also gave them. Uh, you may not recognise us, but there we are. Uh, we're actually giving tea at that stage, but then we would sit down and give presents to all the younger uh, relatives uh, in our families. This year, we want to look at the presence that God gives us and uh, with a particular focus on those that uh, come to us through Jesus Christ. The list is as generous as it is long. The gifts of life, sharing, creation, grace, forgiveness, purpose, hope, eternal life and the Holy Spirit. The ones we've chosen uh, for this Advent series are the ones you see on the screen. Uh, the vision and teaching of Jesus, the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, the special place that Jesus has for children and the church. Uh, of the many things we can thank Jesus for, we're going to look at these four, but I'm sure that we'll mention many more. Uh, today we have his teaching and his vision. The two go together. Jesus teaches about who he is and who we are, God's plans for us, the kingdom, and how we are to best enjoy him. And he teaches us about his amazing generosity and what lies ahead. He, shows, he teaches us, as he teaches us, he shows us the world as it should be and as it will be when he returns. He shows us in the way he engaged with the people of his age, how he wants to engage with us today and how he wants us, in his words, to love God and to love our neighbour. And he draws a picture of what the kingdom of God will be like when he does return and brings his kingdom to earth for those who trust and follow him. Our first reading today is one of my favourites from the Old Testament. Isaiah lays out the vision of the world to come and it is Jesus who will bring that about. Uh, the, uh, Isaiah talks about Jerusalem, but of course we're grafted in to the people of Israel and it's a wonderful image of what the world will be like, the world that Jesus is bringing. The vision of the world to come is perhaps clearest uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, where the teaching of Jesus is interspersed with accounts of his miracles. Each miracle shows us something of the kingdom into which he will lead us as our king. They are windows into his vision of what lies ahead. 
when Jesus heals the paralysed man dropped in through the roof, he not only shows that there will be no disability, but also that there is a way into the kingdom through the forgiveness of sins. When he restores a demon-possessed man, he shows that we will be safe from demons in the kingdom and also that our personal relations will be restored. When Jesus raises a dead girl to life, he shows he can conquer death and there will be no death or tears of pain and grief in the kingdom. When he feeds 5,000, he shows he will be generous and all our physical needs will be met in the kingdom. When he walks on water, he shows he is in control of the natural world. And when he calms the storm, he shows that we will have nothing to fear from the world around us, no storms or earthquakes or other disasters. When he heals the blind, he shows that we will see clearly in the kingdom. And that's just some of the miracles of the God-man Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus good, did good in his life, but even better, he shows us what the future looks like. Much of his teaching shows us the way into his kingdom. Uh, in my first sermon here, uh, over four years ago, I looked at Jesus' words at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are a number of ways of reading this. I take it that Jesus' yoke is his teaching. We might think of a yoke as a burden, but it's really a tool that enables us to do more than we could on our own. In the farming context of Jesus' day, a yoke would help you pull a cart or a plough. But the important thing is not that it is any old yoke, but it is Jesus' yoke. It is the yoke we should want. Jesus is our creator and he knows every contour of our bodies, every contour of our minds and every contour of our hearts. His yoke fits us as nothing else in the whole of creation does. He knows what fits each one of us because he knows each one of us personally. He knows what will allow us to live and work well without being worn down or rubbing ourselves sore at every step. As we take Jesus' teaching on our shoulders and let it fit around us, Jesus promises that we will find rest and find a life in his teaching, in his way, which is easy and light. That's not a bad present, is it? If this year at Christmas I could make your lives easier and lighter and, and you rested and ready for the year ahead, I'd be doing you a great deal of good. And that is what is on offer from Jesus and his teaching and vision. There is a lot more to Jesus' gifts to us through his teaching. Every encounter with the people of his day and every parable teaches us so much. My favourite stories include the woman at the well and Nicodemus, the woman caught in adultery and Mary Magdalene. 
The thing about Jesus is that each time he met someone, he knew exactly what they needed. Now, that's a pretty good track record with presence, isn't it? Now, that's not to say that everyone liked what they got. The Pharisees and the scribes did not take kindly to having their hypocrisy exposed or being taught by a carpenter's son the place of the law of Moses. But Jesus clearly did it for their good. And Nicodemus was a member of the religious elite. But he understood what it meant to be born again. And an official and a centurion each accepted Jesus' gifts of new life and faith because Jesus knew what they needed. God's gifts to us are all tied up with Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. We see our way ahead in his I am statements, two of which we've already uh, heard today. Jesus tells us he is the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and life, the way, the truth and life, and the true vine. Jesus says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And this is the will of the one who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. If I got up on Christmas morning and that was in my stocking, I'd be pretty happy. Never worrying about my needs, complete confidence that with Jesus we will never be lost, and eternal life. In John 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This world can seem pretty dark, and most of us have dark thoughts from time to time. But Jesus is the one who can shine his light into any darkness. Where there is light, there is no darkness. To read and think about Jesus is the best part of any day. And no matter what problems lie ahead, we know that Jesus can help us through them. In, Jesus, uh, in John 10, uh, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. This only makes sense if we recognise that we need to be saved. If we think we're pretty good and life's okay, and who needs a saviour? And the strong among us can probably find enough pasture on our own uh, until we tire and get old. But if we have some sense of the existence of God and the holiness of God and the things we know we have done wrong, and we want to be with God and have some small part of what he has to offer, and if we recognise we have not always treated God with the love and respect he deserves, then we need help. We need a saviour. And Jesus quite, says quite simply, I am that saviour. I am your gate to salvation. 
If we get to know him and trust him, we can enter through Jesus. We are set free to come in and go out, and pasture is a lovely image of all we need. The I am I've I've chosen for our second reading today is in the following passage in John's Gospel. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Unlike the bad shepherds who had misruled Israel since they had come up out of slavery in Egypt, Jesus was the good shepherd, the king who would care for his sheep and put them first. He will never leave us to our own devices. He will never give up on us. He will speak to us, teach us, earn our trust. He will do whatever he can to look after us. As Jesus was reduced to tears at the sight of the death of his friend Lazarus and the grief of his family, he said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. In John 14, after he had told his disciples that in his father's house there were many rooms, rooms enough for us all, Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know me. You do know him and have seen him. In Jesus, God gives us all we ever need. Praise God. And in John 15... Jesus uses the metaphor of himself as the true vine into which we will be grafted to receive his life-giving sap. With him, his his lifeblood flows through us so we're able to produce good fruit. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now you are part of the true vine, part of me. Remain in my love. And that is what lies ahead for us with Jesus. Before we finish, let's go back to the second reading briefly, because there's one aspect of that that I did not give sufficient time to. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is Christmas, when we celebrate the life of Jesus, but it is in his death that he really makes something for us that is just so special. Jesus came to earth on that first Christmas with the divine plan to lay down his life for his sheep, to die in our place so that we may have forgiveness, redemption from our sins and life eternal. No one else could do that. No one else would do that. And that is the greatest present any human being could ever have. And it came with Jesus on that first starry night in Bethlehem. However familiar the story of Christmas is, it is just wonderful, wonderful news. Through Jesus we participate not in some ethereal, disembodied existence after death, but his victory on the cross and being raised to a new embodied life 
He was the first fruits of the embodied glorious life that lies ahead for all of us who believe in him and that victory. There is a little phrase in 1 Peter that captures for me the excitement we can feel in this. Peter writes, Concerning this salvation, the prophets, like Isaiah, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah, as Isaiah certainly did, and the glories that would follow as I did in our first reading. And then he says, even angels long to look into these things. Put aside ideas of angels being ethereal bodies floating around. Angels are scary. Angels don't have wings. Cherubim do, angels not. Angels are real and are part of the heavenly host. And yet, they long to see what Jesus would do. They've been with God in eternity. They'd seen, in a sense, everything that he had done, and yet they were excited about what they would see in Jesus. And therefore, I think we can be excited about what lies ahead. There are many, many wonders and mysteries in the Gospels about Jesus, but what lies ahead is even better than that, beyond what we can possibly comprehend. Put all these things together, and our Christmas stockings really are overflowing. What more could we possibly want? He gives all this to us out of his love and grace. These are not gifts that will grow old or decay or that we might want to swap. His teaching and his resurrection are total proof that he wants us to enjoy him and his gifts forever. This Christmas, there is so much to thank Jesus for. And what does he want in return? Our love. A simple response of love of God and our neighbour. Not out of a sense of debt or obligation, but out of an understanding, however clear, amazed or hazy that might be, of what he's offering to us. Out of gratitude. Out of love. Shall we pray? Our Father God, Thank you for this time of Advent to reflect on all that you give to us in Jesus. We've had a hard two years, but you have been faithful to us. Lift our eyes this Christmas to your Son and his vision for the future. Help us to wear his yoke better and be truly thankful for all your gifts to us in Jesus. Amen.